going to read verses 1 to 9 and then verses 18 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And carrying on from verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. But I want us to return to Matthew's Gospel this morning. Hopefully you've got it open on your lap. But let me begin by telling you about one of the best bits of telly that I've seen in recent months. There's a three-part documentary presented by Dr. Robert Bartlett on the Normans. I don't know if you saw it. It was absolutely superb. Way before 1066 and all that, way before the Norman conquest, the Vikings came from... um, from up north. They came from Sweden and Norway and that direction and they came and attacked Lindisfarne in the 8th century. They didn't uh, hold any prisoners, they didn't come asking any questions. They arrived on their 8th century longboats and uh, blood quickly followed. No questions were asked. They were after power and they were after money. They attacked Lindisfarne and then they came down the uh, eastern seaboard to the north of England and then the east of England. They weren't satisfied with those two parts of the United Kingdom, so they travelled to the Mediterranean and around the basin. They also got in their longboats, I never knew this, and they went all the way across the Atlantic Ocean to North America. It wasn't there, perhaps, that they made their name that was written in blood, other peoples, but it was in northern France in the renamed territory of Normandy, where if you go today, you can still see huge structures that bear their architectural stamp. Mont-Saint-Michel, you can go to Caen, you can go to Rouen, and see these great cathedrals pointing up to the sky that have been built so securely by the Normans that they're still there today. There was a kingdom that lasted for a great season in history. It's now past, you can see its uh, edifices, you can see its remnants, 
but uh, power and wealth quickly dissipated in the sands of time. Back in Matthew, in Matthew's Gospel, that we left some months ago, all the way up to chapter 12, where we took a pause, Matthew's been telling us about Jesus, who's the saviour of the world. Jesus' name, Matthew 1.21, give him the name Jesus, Jesus' father is told, for he will save the people from their sins. But Matthew, as a superb teacher, is not just saying Jesus has come to save people from their sins. If that were all, that would be wonderful. But Jesus came to offer more. He came to fulfill more. He came to do away with alienation. He came to do away with injustice and poverty. He came to push back the boundaries of suffering, that one day tears would be no more. Easter reminds us of that. In the life of ministry of Jesus, we see an absolute commitment to fulfilling the plan of God. He says, I've come to bring the kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's like nothing you've seen before. No historical uh, memory will prepare you for the way that this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that's mentioned 11 times in chapter 13, a big emphasis. Jesus is saying, I want you to know how you can come into the kingdom of God. I want you to know how you get in. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next two Sundays. How does someone know that they're in the kingdom of God? How does someone get into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven? What does it mean to enter in? Jesus tells us how. Let's look at verse 9 of chapter 13 with me. Look at sentence 9. The kingdom of God, God's kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven, it may be written in that way in your Bible as well. It comes by hearing. It comes by listening. It doesn't come through force, doesn't come through uh, power militarily, doesn't come through an argument. The kingdom of God comes through hearing. And so Jesus says in verse 9, to him who has ears, let him hear. Listening is really, really important. So Jesus says the kingdom comes through hearing my word, Jesus' word. And therefore, be careful how you hear. That's the natural implication from this parable. It's what it illustrates. It's the picture it paints. So let's think about the two sides of that coin, the two principles. The kingdom of God, firstly, comes by hearing. It comes through your ears. As John Bunyan said, it comes through ear gate. Now, that's really unusual if you think about it. I mentioned the Normans. You could think of other empires in history, maybe Attila the Hunt. Maybe the Third Reich in a more modern setting, maybe uh, Alexander the Great. These huge kingdoms that are known about through the pages of history, they never came through hearing, they always came through force. I mean, think about the, uh, the leaders in our century, think about the leaders in sport, in politics, think about the leaders in commerce and work setting. Often they're very poor listeners. Not always, but uh, sometimes to get to the top, you need to be decisive. You need to know your own mind. And it's better if you can give tweetable comments than it is that you can listen. It's all about uh, getting a hearing from people, about getting your message out. It's about putting the right spin on the communication that you want people to hear and to understand. Modern leaders are, are great about getting into a room and communicating their message. They don't want to listen. They want you to listen to what they've got to say. So very often, earthly kingdoms equals bad listeners. It's always about getting a hearing, not giving a hearing. 
And that's the difference Jesus is saying. I want you to give me a hearing to my message. That's a sign that you're in the kingdom. That's a sign that your heart is receptive to what I've got to say. The gospel, the good news. that I've, I have come for the forgiveness of sins, but my, my kingdom project is so much greater than that. Not limited to that. And so if you look at uh, sentence 19, where Jesus interprets the parable of the seed, here's the reason why the kingdom of God is so different to the kingdoms of the world. It's about the seed. It's not about force and might and power. It's not about conquest and blood. It's not about money and resources. The kingdom is about the seed. It's the word of the kingdom. It's the gospel, the good news from the lips of Jesus. It's the Christian message. It's three ways of saying the same thing. The kingdom, God's kingdom, moves forward gradually, sometimes with rapidity, but often gradually on the basis of hearing the truth. It never moves forward by force, not Jesus' kingdom. There's some pictures on the screen. It's a bit like comparing a seed to a rock. Imagine you're out on one of your essential journeys of the day. Uh, You've already done some planting of seeds. There's a seed in your hand on the screen. But imagine on your one essential walk of the day or your journey of the day to go and get some shopping, you see a a landscaping truck with a huge rock on the back of it. It's it's five tons large. It's really heavy. You can't move it. You need a crane to come and do it. You need a JCB to encourage it off the back of a lorry. And as that rock drops down onto the ground where the person wants it placed, think of how the the rock impacts the soil. You can hear the thud. You can sense the compaction and the squashing of the soil. I'm a gardener. I call it soil. You may call it mud. But you get the point. As the rock comes off the lorry, it compacts the soil. It, It impacts the ground externally. But think about the seed. The seed impacts the soil internally. The rock, as it comes off the the back of the lorry, it happens quickly and suddenly. It arrives and you can hear the thud and the ground compacts and it will never be moved again unless someone else buys the house and wants the stone to be moved to a different place. But think about the seed. The seed doesn't grow quickly, it grows gradually, organically, slowly, silently. You can't really see it growing. You can't hear its effect but it comes gradually. It's the same with human kingdoms. It's the same with a a parliamentary vote. They can't really affect your heart. You may be frustrated about a decision that's been made in the United Kingdom or another part of the world where you're living. But the kingdom of God is different. Truth comes through hearing, comes through the ear gate. Truth comes in through your ears and it affects your heart at a deep-seated level. That's why the kingdom of God shouldn't operate the way the kingdoms of the world operate. We don't understand this, neither did uh, John the Baptist. You may remember him, we met him in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 3. John the Baptist is in prison for being a follower of Jesus, for sharing the good news about Jesus, and he's in prison, and uh, he hears that Jesus is on the move. He hears that Jesus is proclaiming the good news about forgiveness of sins and about this new kingdom that's going to come. And so he he sends a runner, he sends out a message from prison to Jesus. And he says, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you God's king come to change the world? 
should I be waiting for someone else? Because I'm here in prison, and I thought when you came, things were going to be different. I thought suffering was going to end. I thought tears would be dried up. When God's Messiah came, when God's King came, I thought I wouldn't be in jail. He was full of doubts. And either he forgot what he had understood about Jesus, or maybe he put Jesus in a, in a perception and in a, a partition in his brain where he thought Jesus, when he came, he'd be like the Roman Empire. Maybe he thought when Jesus came, he would come and there would be bloodshed. Maybe he thought when Jesus came, anyone who stood against Jesus would fall very, very quickly. I'm the servant of the king, thought John the Baptist, and yet here I am in prison. Has the king come? Or should be waiting for someone else. As I've thought about this this week, I wonder if that's at the very centre of a number of my problems and your problems as we live in this world. If we're Christians and we're seeking to follow King Jesus, maybe we have the same questions and concerns that John the Baptist had. Jesus, if you really are the king, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Jesus, if you're the king then why aren't my dreams being fulfilled? Jesus, if you're the king, are you the king or should we be expecting someone else? We're just like John the Baptist. Why is there so much suffering and tears and evil around me? And Jesus says to John, don't wait for anybody else. I am the king. But you're thinking in all the wrong categories. My kingdom comes like a seed that grows into the greatest tree. It's not a rock that comes and you hear it thud. It's organic growth, it's silent growth, but it's real growth because it's the power of God in his kingdom. My kingdom is just like a seed. It might look vulnerable, it might look like the world will overwhelm it. But let me tell you, John, let me tell you, John the Baptist, that my kingdom is eternal. It's lasting, it's permanent, it's secure. It's God's power on earth, it's heaven in all its fullness, in in a localised area, but one day you'll see it turned up to the max. You may be listening in and you've never heard the Christian message before. Let me put it in a nutshell for you if I can. Let me give it to you in a seed form. The good news of the gospel is this, that a king came from heaven and he triumphed in the most unusual way. Jesus, God's king, triumphed through being tortured, through being killed, before he was raised to life again on the third day. He was tortured and he died on the cross for my sins and for your sins too, for for our rebellious spirit against him and all that he stands for. And even today, in a real way, not a virtual way, he can come into your heart and his reign will start to expand its scope in that space. This is what it means to be part of the kingdom in the 21st century. It means that you understand that the way up is actually the way down. The way to be exalted is the way of humility. The way to uh, find yourself is actually to lose yourself. The way to be rich is to become poor and give your money away in a generous way that the world will think is strange. The way to uh, have power is to become a servant And so Jesus takes the values of the world in his kingdom and he turns them on their head time and time again. It's the way of wisdom, it's the way of love to learn dependence on God, our Father in heaven, through his Son and by his Spirit. 
That's one of the things that COVID is reminding us of. We like to have control, but we don't. Our control is so limited. It's a great opportunity to reflect again about God's goodness, the fact that he is in control and that we are not. To lean upon him in fresh ways, to pray upon him, perhaps in a way that you've never done before. There's a lot that we can learn through pain and suffering. There's a lot that we can learn through tears as we depend on ourselves less and on God more. Is that a message of the word, the seed being heard? Is that really going to change the world? Yes, it will. Look at the past two centuries. It's changed the world from the Roman Empire right up to date. I will triumph, says Jesus, but not by force. I will triumph through my love. I will create a new people, a new band of brothers and sisters who will love obeying obeying me. They won't be slaves under the hand of a tyrant. That's the reason why Jesus is talking about soil. Notice what he says. The kingdom of God comes through hearing. It's there in verse 19. Do you understand what I'm saying? Have you heard it at a deep level? And that's what this parable is all about. The kingdom of God first part of the principle comes through hearing and now we can look at the familiar part which is the second thing he says if the kingdom of God comes through hearing verse 9 says therefore make sure you've heard me take care how you hear don't get distracted that's the second part of the principle I want us to look at the kingdom of God comes through hearing and so now the part we all know therefore take care take care how you hear I said to someone on the phone this morning, verses 1 to 11 is actually shocking when you look at it. It's scary. Perhaps you'd have an 18 certificate on it. Not because it's rude, but because it's so striking from the lips of Jesus. I don't want to shield you from it. I want you to feel its force. Because when William the Conqueror, when he came to northern France, when he journeyed over from France to the United Kingdom, there's no doubt you're either for him or against him. If you disagreed with him, he may well remove your thumbs. He may put you in jail. But Jesus says, my kingdom is very, very different. It's very easy to miss my kingdom. It's very easy for you to think that you're in it, but actually you're not. So you need to listen, says Jesus. You need to have a soft spirit. You need to have a posture of humility that this old book is actually living and active. Because there are many people who have come to Christianity and not really heard what Jesus has said and have left. There are many people who think they're in the kingdom, but they're not. And so I just want to look at three of the soils as tests that we can ask ourselves this morning. They're actually warnings. So be careful. Here's the first one, verse 19. Beware of listening to the word of Jesus with a hard heart. Beware of, beware of listening to the word of Jesus or the word of God with, with a hard heart. It's in verse 19. Some of the seed falls on hard ground and never uh, penetrates into the soil. And a seed can't germinate unless it goes in. It can't just uh, germinate if it's bouncing or sitting on top of hard soil. Just ask anyone that's lived in a hot climate how much work it goes into turn and irrigate and care for soil. Jesus is saying it's possible for me, for you, to come in contact with the word of God, with the word of Jesus, with the gospel regularly. You can come to church, you can hear it explained 
virtually, physically. You can hear prayers like Anna prayed. You can hear songs like we had at the beginning. You can read Christian books. You can be saturated in your diary with opportunities to hear the word of God, the word of Jesus, the gospel, the good news. And yet you cannot understand it. It can just bounce off your heart. You can come with a hard heart and you can just seek to understand the word of God intellectually. No emotional engagement, no heart understanding. It's never made a personal penetration into your spirit. It's just an academic exercise for you. That's possible. And so here's the first test. Let me ask us some questions. Have you, have you ever come under the personal power of the truth of the word of God? Is it remote to you? Is it something that you're interested in? You're, but your questions are smoke screens, really. Is it academic to you? Is it just intellectual or has it become personal? Has there been a time when you've heard something under the, someone's been giving a talk, someone's been preaching from the word of God, from the Bible, or you've heard a podcast, you, you've heard a message as a child and it's not been intellectual, it's become personal, it's become real, it's become, God's come close to you. Has that ever happened to you? You've begun to see things about your own heart that you've never seen before. You've lost sleep because God has approached you by his spirit and he's warmed your heart. And, and you think, this is too wonderful for me. Jesus is more beautiful to me than I've ever seen before. Has that ever happened to you? Or is God's truth just remote? If that's never happened to you, you could may, may well have a hard heart this morning. If God's truth has not thrilled you, if you've never thought or been able to sing with meaning, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. If you've never said that from a full heart, then it may well indicate that you've got a hard heart. It's the first test that shows you may have a hard heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, beware. Here's the second test. It's in uh, verses 20 to 21. It's the first danger is, is having an intellectual understanding of the word of God. It never penetrating. There's another danger and it's the opposite. And Jesus goes there in explanation, verses 20 to 21. The second group of people are people who receive the word of God with joy. They spring up, they're growing, they're bearing a fruit. But this is the most frightening group, I think, of them all. There's someone who says, Jesus changed my life, maybe at a camp. Jesus changed my life, maybe after a talk. They're excited about him. They start to tell others about him. God's opened my eyes. This is the greatest news. He's done something great for me. But watch out, says Jesus, because they're growing. They look like they're Christians, but they can't stand the heat. They can't stand the heat of the sun in the parable. And it's a picture of they can't stand the heat. They can't stand the heat of many parts of the world. All that the world has to offer comes in and chokes. People start to follow Jesus and they say, what use is Christianity? What use is Jesus Christ if I can't have these things? I thought following Jesus, I thought going to church, I thought giving my resources away, I thought that means that God would make my life good and great and my best life now. And Jesus says in this parable, those people may well have had a small experience of me, but they've never encountered me. The truth hasn't come into their hearts. They have a shallow heart, it's just an emotional 
understanding of who I am. It's just a feeling that when the heat comes, when suffering and trial comes, these people turn away from me. It's as if uh, you're this person or you've been this person at a time in your life in the past. You've gone to church, you've heard the message of the gospel, you, you've, you've liked the sound of what the person said. And you've invited Jesus to come and be not your saviour, but your servant. He's a, he's a service provider. I like the sound of what the person's saying. I'm going to invite Jesus to come and do something for me. But, but now the cost is too much. I, I don't want to give up control of my life. In that case, Jesus has never been your saviour. He's been a service provider. These people in the second soil with a shallow heart, they never transferred the trust of their lives to Jesus. They wanted Jesus just to give them a service, just to provide for what they thought in the agenda of their lives. It's a, it's a shallow heart. One's an intellectual understanding, a hard heart. One's a, a shallow heart. That's an emotional understanding. But thirdly, the third danger is, is perhaps where a number of us would find ourselves this morning. Don't listen with a hard heart. Don't listen with a shallow heart. Thirdly, don't listen to the word of God with a divided heart. Don't listen with a divided heart. What do I mean by that? Verse 22 says it's pretty scary. The trouble with the third group is it's hard to tell who they are. Did you notice that? They have a root. They start to grow. They don't fall away. They don't run away. The seed is there and they're starting to grow. And, and yet there are thorns that are springing up and it's making them hard to bear fruit. They can't be fruitful. The life is being taken out of them. And here are people who are struggling to live for Jesus with a whole heart. There's a, there's a divided heart. It might be 50-50. It might be 70-30. Jesus looks like the love of their life. But actually, under the surface, beneath the mask, beneath the reputation, beneath the service that they're doing for him, there's something going on motivationally. They're following Jesus, but with a, with a divided heart. There's a division, and so the life is choked out of them. Verse 22 says, they're unfruitful. The thorns come and choke the life. They don't see any change in their lives, and they don't see any fruit as they try to follow Jesus. They don't see the real power coursing through their veins of the Spirit of God. And as a result, they're really unhappy. They're not sure if they're Christians or not, and it's hard for other people to discern if they're Christians or not. Time would tell. They're anxious. Friends, listen. Some of us have been unhappy for a very long time. You see, we're trapped. We're being choked because we've got a divided heart. We look like we're following Jesus, but actually there are other things that are breaking in and trying to choke that life. You can see the first group. They were joyful. And then they left. You can see the second group, there was some life, and then they left when the cost got too great. You can see the fourth group who followed Jesus with the whole heart, and there's fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. It's clear that they're Christians following Jesus, maturing in Jesus, being fruitful for Jesus. They're not miserable, they're happy, but this is the group that is very, very unhappy. They're looking at their priorities and they see that they're divided. They're, 
They're following Jesus as much as it serves them, but actually there's something else going on in their hearts. Something's crowding Jesus out. Something's looking more attractive and more immediate and more certain than the promises of following Jesus. And if that's you, you need to remember, it's not the job of the soil to get rid of the thorns. It's not the job of the soil to get rid of the stones. That's the job of the gardener. And if you resonate with that divided heart this morning, take an opportunity at the end of the service to pause and to pray to the gardener. The gardener who has ultimate skill to prune. The farmer who has planted the seed wants to see it grow 30, 60, 100 fold. It's not something we can do just to remove thorns and stones from the soil of our hearts without his help. It's not our job to get rid of the thorns and get rid of the stones and get rid of the rocks. It's our job to receive God's word. Have you heard what he said? And so you could pray a prayer that goes like this. I have thorns in my life. Please take them out. I've got stones in my heart. Please help me to remove them. And what would God say? Would he say, how dare you come to me after the way you've treated me? How dare you come to me with a divided spirit? He wouldn't say that at all. He would say, it's great to hear from you. I've been waiting for you, Jesus may say. I took your thorns on my brow. I took your rocks. They buried me under one. I've taken those things from you. That's why I'm here. Because the kingdom of God comes through hearing. And so be careful how you hear.